Where are my piss town pals at? This is District Sentinel Radio Live. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the old Sentinel Fort in Washington, D.C. Thank you for tuning in, subscribers and non-subscribers alike. Coming up on today's show, how one lawmaker cashed in on the shittiest moment in politics last year. We take a look at the last Republican in New England, Susan Collins, in just a bit. Yes, and then we attempt to answer a question that at least one person has asked this question, which is what do Donald Trump and Abraham Lincoln have in common? Other than massive brain damage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'll answer that question. Also, for the second week in a row, we check in with the creator of the awful pundit tournament 2019, Tanky Viciato. The Hateable Eight has kicked off, so things are really heating up. And then later uh, in the show, we'll get to the garbage can. Two senators square off. Will it be Diane Feinstein for her taunts for her tot stomp on climate change? Fuck that up, god damn it. <laughs> or will it be Rubio for his Twitter death threats against Maduro? Voting is open right now. Patreon.com slash district sentinel. You can if you're not a subscriber, you can log in right now, become a subscriber, vote, have a say in who gets tossed in the garbage can. It is a close race. I don't want to give anything away, but if you aren't subscribing and you want to see Marco Rubio get metaphorically thrown in a garbage can, you better subscribe because he needs some help right now. <laughs> is he? Well, last time I checked, it was it was neck and neck, but uh, I guess the uh, the other uh, distinguished senator, senior senator from California, must be pulling ahead. Yeah. So we had some news later uh, this afternoon. Uh, I suppose this isn't really a surprise to anyone, but Beto O'Rourke is getting ready to run. Several people uh, close to the congressman told the Dallas Morning News that he will probably get things started sometime in the next few weeks. Quote, Amy and I have made a decision about how we can best serve our country. We are excited to share it with everyone soon. Even that sounds annoying and very heavily focus grouped. Like every word of that sentence went through the grinder. Yeah. Well, Democrats are scared. This is a very cynical move and uh, it will backfire. Really... The, the dumb consulting class within the Democratic Party thinks they cling to this idea, and you can see it because it's repeated uh, by dullard pundits on MSNBC, that somehow, uh, that somehow Beto O'Rourke pulls votes away from Bernie Sanders, that he sucks uh, away young, enthusiastic voters from Bernie Sanders just because he himself is young and acts like Barack Obama or something, uh, they'll realize that the truth is... He was is, in a band. Yeah, maybe that's why. The, real, the, the truth is, and they'll realize this quickly after Beto jumps in the race, he's going to pull votes away from the centrist candidates, from Kamala Harris, from Joe Biden if he decides to run. 
So uh, this will spectacularly backfire. And it'll become crystal clear the first debate when uh, Beto proudly proclaims himself to be a capitalist. More than a capitalist. He won't even say he's a progressive. It's more than that. Beto, yeah. Beto barely will even cop to being a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not, because obviously Bernie's not a Democrat, but you can only run so many fucking empty platitude spewing husks like Beto O'Rourke against Bernie, and it's going to split the vote. So I'm not too bummed about this, but it, it is funny because I was, I was uh, getting into a fight on Facebook today or on social media or whatever over uh, Beto O'Rourke's uh, aspirations because people have put up stickers in D.C. If that gives you any indication <laughs> about where the enthusiasm for Beto O'Rourke is coming from, it's from all these dipshits in D.C. People yeah. got excited about him because he was up against Ted Cruz, who is a very fucking detestable lizard human. Yeah. Beto yeah. lost, by the way. Beto's constituency are people who work in D.C. is people who work in D.C. for like boutique consulting firms and fundraising firms. Yeah. Uh, who are obsessed with the West Wing. Uh, maybe so a lot of them also work in Capitol Hill offices. Um but that's about it. The sad thing, and this is being uh, said all over Twitter today, is that Beto had a real chance of unseating John Cornyn in, yeah. uh, in the Senate race in 2020. He's totally casting that aside and focusing on national political ambitions in, in a cycle where the Democratic Party is clearly swinging far to the left of him. Yeah. The consultants just want to make him happen. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't translate outside of Texas and I think at he, all. I think he is there to please the consultant class. I don't think he thinks he's going to win. I think his best hope is that maybe he denies Bernie Sanders the nomination and gets a VP pick with a Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, whoever wins, if one of the centrists end up winning. Yeah. I think that's the best thing that O'Rourke is ho hoping for as sort of a payoff if he gets in the race to, to try and split the Bernie vote. But again, he's not going to do that. People think he will split the Bernie vote, but he will not. He will cut into the centrist vote. And it'll become very clear once he starts articulating some of his policy ideas and you realize that they're just milquetoast, democratic, bland, centrist ideas. Yeah. Yeah, he... he uh, in the minds of these people, there there's just this, like, stereotypical millennial who's like scratching his head struggling between Bernie and Beto. And it's, yeah. it's just not there. It's just not there. Anyway, some uh, other news today. Michael Cohen testified for the House Oversight Committee. We're not going to spend uh, too much on it because you can literally turn to any other channel, news channel, and uh, be inundated with coverage of the Michael Cohen hearing. I'm also not going to be too cynical about it and say it was all just a spectacle and all a show and nobody will talk about this uh, in the future. I think it was a big deal. I mean, these are pretty serious crimes that are being laid out with evidence by uh, the president's former lawyer. You have things like bank fraud, Trump lying uh, on loan applications, which gets people into serious trouble all the time. You've got uh, election crimes that everybody knows about related to the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. Cohen talking about those illegal payments still continuing to be made while Trump uh, is in the White House. I don't think we should overlook this stuff. 
These are all uh, very impeachable offenses. Also, some deeply weird stuff from the Cohen uh, hearing. Uh, he admitted to writing letters, th- writing letters to threaten old schools that Trump went to to not release his SAT scores <laughs> or in grades. Uh, he admitted to a scheme to pay someone to be the highest bidder on a portrait of Trump. Trump bragged about the that on Twitter at the time <laughs> as, as people dragged up today. In 2013, he was like, wow, someone just was the highest. Someone just bid $60,000 on a portrait of me. How about that? Yeah, yeah. He had someone bid on that, and then they repaid the guy <laughs> who bid on it. Um, another thing from the Cohen testimony, uh, it embarrassed Donald Trump Jr., uh, quote from the hearing, Mr. Trump had frequently told me and others that his son Don Jr. had the worst judgment of anyone in the world. <laughs> Humiliating. That was, it, it was all worth it just for that. Yeah. Uh, Cohen also claimed that he had to lie to Melania about uh, the affair with Stormy Daniels. This, uh, I don't think, had been known that Trump forced Cohen to tell the lie to Melania about it. Um, but yeah, look, as I said, crimes were laid out, bank fraud, uh, election fraud, not a good hearing overall for the Russiagate crowd. Uh, Michael Cohen denied a lot of the steel dossier allegations and it, it became pretty clear in the way that Cohen testified that Trump didn't think he was going to win the presidency. That's why they were working on this Moscow deal. And as soon as he won the presidency, they knew that the deal wasn't going to happen. As soon as he won the nomination, essentially, the Republican nomination, which kind of uh, belies the theory that's been put out that Trump has long been working with the Russians in a bid to run for president, to hand Putin the reins of power in the United States. I think that's been thoroughly disproven now as we near the end of the Mueller investigation and by Cohen's testimony uh, here today, assuming you believe him and a lot of people want to believe him on a lot of the things that he said today. Um, But have no fear if you still want to get rid of Trump because there were clear crimes laid out today if we focus on them and if uh, Democrats take them seriously. And I think uh, they might take them seriously. I mean, the bank fraud evidence is... You have clear evidence that the president's engaged in bank fraud. <laughs> yeah, that that seems pretty cut and dry. It's uh, it's one of those crimes where you're basically like signing on a piece of paper saying, I am not committing any crimes. Uh, I- and it's obvious uh, when that's not true. Yeah, that that's my uh, law and order understanding of bank fraud. Anyways, Cohen's testifying again tomorrow in a closed session. I um, I don't know. I mean, I don't... The impeachment crowd, I don't think Senate Republicans are going to be moved by this. Well, if, if House Republicans, the way they acted... Yeah, clearly the way Mark <laughs> Meadows and Jim Jordan acted today. Mark Meadows at one point in the hearing tried to disprove Cohen's allegations that Trump is racist by bringing a human prop... Uh, a black woman that worked at Trump organization and says Trump hired this black person did not go over well. No, it didn't. It was pretty disgusting. uh, And a lot of lawmakers called him out on it. Uh, We saw questioning from AOC also during the hearing that got at uh, trying to acquire Trump's tax returns and how to go about doing that. Um, I think it was a good hearing. 
overall. Uh, it was better than a lot of those blockbuster Comey hearings where Comey couldn't say shit because of the investigations and everything that was going on. Uh, here you had a, a, a witness who, uh, I don't know, was... It was it was an entertaining hearing. He was compelling, and he certainly offered a lot of uh, evidence of crimes committed by the president. I just think, if anything, it should go for post-Trump administration prosecutions rather than impeachment, because I just I don't think impeachment is going to happen. And uh, we're basically 18 months out of finally getting rid of Trump uh, forever. Yeah. So maybe at this point it's almost it's almost too late. Right, right. But if we want to have some sort of uh special prosecutor into the the unique crimes of the Trump administration which are clearly going on, yeah. then then this is good for that. Some other news today, a big one coming out of the Supreme Court involving the World Bank or at least a subsidiary of it, the International Finance Corporation or the IFC, which lost its bid for complete legal immunity today. This all stems from the IFC's financing of a power plant in India that uh, fucked up the lives of local fishermen and farmers who are now suing. You know, I honestly can't believe that small farmers got screwed over by an organization that's motto is creating markets, creating opportunities. (laughs) Totally shocked by this. Anyway, the good people at the World Bank Group screwing over <laughs> poor uh, farmers. I, I never would have thought. Yeah, the farmers in this case, they claimed that pollution from the plant, such as coal dust, ash and water from the plant's cooling system had destroyed or contaminated much of the surrounding air, land and water. Now, the IFC is supposed to have uh, strict strings attached to the money it gives to private businesses abroad to build things like power plants. The IFC claims that its loan recipients adhere to a set of performance standards designed to avoid, mitigate, and manage risks and impacts associated with the development projects. But the farmers in this claim, in this case, claim that that, well, it just didn't happen. $450 million was loaned to the private developers of the coastal Gujarat Power Limited, That's the name of the plant. And plaintiffs claim, quote, several causes of action against the IFC, including negligence, nuisance, trespass, and breach of contract. I remember back in the day when the, uh, well, I I think it's an oversimplification to call it anti-globalization protests, but uh, the anti-globalization protests, that era, uh, one great slogan was more world, less bank. (laughs) That was good. I'm just reminded of that. That was good. That was good. Um, Now, here's the thing. The uh, IFC doesn't dispute any of the underlying facts in this case. They're not disputing that they gave $450 million to this private power plant developer and that they're not disputing that the developer then ruined the lives of the local community with pollution. Instead... What the IFC is claiming is that they have absolute legal immunity. They can't be sued. They're untouchable. So get the fuck out of here. And they actually have a pretty good case uh, at first. It's a 1945 law known as the International Organizations Immunities Act. And 
It explicitly grants international organizations like the World Bank the same immunity from suit in every form of judicial process as is enjoyed by foreign governments. So international organizations get the same legal immunity as foreign governments under this law. And at the time when this law was passed in 1945, that was absolute immunity. You couldn't sue a foreign government in U.S. courts for anything. So you couldn't sue international organizations for anything either. The problem for the International Finance Corporation today is that that law was changed in 1976 with something called the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act, which actually carved out an exception to this absolute immunity. The new law created a condition under which foreign governments could actually be sued now, and that was if the suit is in connection with its commercial activity that has a sufficient nexus with the United States. Essentially what happened here is the demands of absolute immunity ran up against the demands of capitalism as governments started doing more and more business with private entities, which necessitated, according to the State Department at the time, those private entities to have access to the courts. So if a foreign government tortured you, you couldn't bring suit, but if they screwed you over in a business deal... <laughs> You need to sue their ass. By all means, proceed. (laughs) You will have your day in court, sir. (laughs) Now, fast forward today, and what's at the heart of this case here is whether or not the updated, more restrictive nature of legal immunity for foreign governments, the law that passed in 1976 that said you can sue them for commercial activities, whether or not that law now also applies to international organizations or if those organizations still enjoy absolute immunity under the 1945 law, as the International Finance Corporation has been claiming. That's what the IFC is arguing. The 1945 absolute immunity law applies to them, not the 1976 more restrictive one. Now, at this point, when it comes to determining uh, the the Supreme Court ruling here, uh, there's a bunch of legal jargon, precedent and shit. Long story short, in a 7-1 ruling today, the Supreme Court said that the 1976 change does indeed apply to international organizations, and thusly, they can be sued for certain commercial activities that uh, have an involvement with the United States. That's kind of surprising that the Supreme Court effectively sided with these... uh these Indian farmers. Yeah, in such a, a strong majority as well, 7-1. I, I do see the um, ulterior motive behind the conservatives and why they would get behind this sort of decision as possibly a way... Protecting of, contracts? Well, no, I mean a, a possibly a way of undermining international organizations. If you have some fucking batshit zany uh, lawsuit against the UN for like undermining the state of Israel by recognizing Palestinian representatives or yeah. officials or so, something of that nature. I yeah. don't know. It, that, I I just see that uh, w- when some of the when some of the wingnut justices were were thinking this one out. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were thinking, let's help a bunch of Indian farmers. No, I doubt that. Justice Breyer was the lone dissent in the case. He's a liberal justice, uh, voicing concern that it could open the floodgates for lawsuits against similar international organizations. Excuse me. Now, this doesn't mean that the IFC can suddenly be sued in this matter. Uh, the justices just remanded it back to the lower court to be guided with this new ruling. 
But it does mean that international organizations, particularly international finance organizations, the ones dealing with commercial activities like the World Bank, are waking up today with a lot less legal immunity than they had yesterday. So the next time they're looking to fund a private chemical plant or power plant or mine somewhere in the world, they might take a little more care in ensuring they don't completely fuck up people's lives. Maybe. <laughs> Last note on this case, New Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh was involved in the case at the lower court level before joining the Supreme Court, so he did not participate in today's ruling. Uh, either that or he was just busy coaching girls basketball again and forgot. <laughs> I don't know. Speaking of Kavanaugh, no one will forget his confirmation process last year. He was approved by the Senate despite being very credibly accused twice of sexually assaulting women. And uh, just a note about this segment, it's going to be about that confirmation process. And I know for some people it was hard to watch. So if you don't really want to relive that confirmation process, uh, I suggest turning the volume down or uh, skipping ahead uh, for the next few minutes. But anyway, there was uncertainty right until the end of the process. But hope of the Senate doing the right thing was dashed when Maine Susan Collins took to the floor to announce her support for Kavanaugh in a 43-minute-long act of smarmy condescension. Mr. President, I listened carefully to Christine Blasey Ford's testimony before the Judiciary Committee. I found her testimony to be sincere, painful, and compelling. I believe that she is a survivor of a sexual assault and that this trauma has upended her life. Nevertheless, the four witnesses she named could not corroborate any of the events of that evening gathering. Well, of course, they couldn't corroborate the events she listed because they didn't know at the time that Christine Blasey Ford was being sexually assaulted. And Ford, of course, said it was Kavanaugh, quote, 100%. So it was kind of strange watching Collins decide to give this long-winded smear of a speech with the whole world watching, rather than making a quick statement or issuing a press release explaining how she would vote. But there appeared to be a clue as to why she gave the speech when right at the onset, Collins mentioned one of the reasons why she wanted to support Kavanaugh. When a part of a statute is challenged on constitutional grounds, he has argued for severing the invalid clause as surgically as possible while allowing the overall law to remain intact. This was his approach in his dissent in a case that involved a challenge to the structure of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So cutting through the legalese and the booster language about Kavanaugh's surgical skill, Collins is praising Kavanaugh there for ruling that the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, was unconstitutionally structured, a decision that was eventually overturned. You know who else wants the CFPB hindered? People with money to burn on Republican politicians. Unsurprisingly, they appeared to really like Susan Collins' speech. That's according to the most recent FEC data on campaign donations. 
In September 2018, Collins raised just over $100,000. In October, she raised six times that amount, $620,000. Her pro-Kavanaugh speech was on October 5th at the start of the month. The windfall is palpable in biannual data, too. Last Congress, Collins raised $2.6 million. And while that isn't the most she's raised in a single election cycle, that is a record for Collins in an off year when she's not up for re-election. She broke her 2012 House cycle record uh, by a factor of four. Yeah, for people who are listening, they can't see the graphic we have up right now. Um, from Open Secrets, but essentially it's showing how much she's raised each year. And you see these massive jumps each time she, it's an election year, every six years. So you have a massive jump. Then you have uh, two off elections in between in which she doesn't raise hardly any money, big valleys. Then you have another huge uh, peak and then two valleys peak, two valleys peak. And then it's a it's a, it's a peak almost on par. In fact, more on par. More money was raised in an off year than she raised in one of her first election campaigns uh, back in what is that ninety six? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's something happened. Something happened. Yeah, you get, it is really palpable when you when you see that that graph. Anyway, before Kavanaugh was confirmed. Conservatives were claiming victory by alleging that the accusations would drive voters to the polls for Republicans. The midterm results proved them wrong. The campaign finance data might show, however, that the Kavanaugh accusations did motivate the donor class. That is, if Collins' massive haul is any indication. Here's who tends to give money to politicians, in the words of the Center for Responsive Politics, quote, only a tiny fraction of Americans actually give campaign contributions to political candidates, parties, or PACs, political action committees. The ones who give contributions large enough to be itemized over $200 is even smaller. So what a surprise. The donor class ran to the defense of a drunken frat boy predator. Yeah, not not too surprised uh, by that. Uh, I guess a little bit surprised that, and I guess it's not surprising anymore. We've seen it more and more that the donor class is drawing more and more out of touch with base voters in each party, I think. Um, and you see that with the Democratic Party. And I played that MSNBC clip I posted on Twitter of like A.B. Stoddard being like, Democrat, the donor class in the Democrats is increasingly worried that the party's becoming anti-airplane, <laughs> pro-infanticide. <laughs> Like, who gives it? The donor class is completely out of touch. And you, they're unnecessary now. The way that Bernie can raise funds from small donors over, like, nobody needs to listen to the donor class anymore. They're dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, but the, they do they, raise money. But Collins <clears throat> could be knocked off. It doesn't matter. Like, yo, yeah. Collins can easily be knocked off. It's just, it's such a disgusting way of cashing in. Yeah. And it, I, I think it also illustrates a kind of bond between, like, the class bond between Kavanaugh and the donors. Like, they, they saw their poor, their poor, sweet lacrosse boy getting maligned, so they, they rushed to give Susan Collins a shitload of money. <laughs> All right. Shall we uh, see what's going on in the inbox? We shall. What's up? Inbox, what's up, Intern Nate? Uh, Intern Nate has showed up. He's going to be cooking his dinner now. Throughout he's heading out show. oh man just wanted, just wanted to catch up with intern Nate. he's cool. heading out cool. anyway uh from the inbox we have subject article what donald trump and abraham lincoln have in common 
<laughs> I don't think this is an article. Their brain oozing out of their ears. From folks. from <laughs> from Robert Kaufman, a historical fiction author. Uh, who is, quote, offering a an objective perspective on leadership <laughs> traits. <laughs> okay, here it goes. Uh, President Trump likes to compare himself to President Lincoln, and indeed there are some similarities. Both won with less than a majority of the popular vote and took office in a deeply divided, polarized country with a substantial portion of the media engaging in virulent personal attacks on their character. <laughs> All right. I uh, anyway. I'm, get to I'm the just end. Gonna the continue, end is the, 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 the kicker. Yeah. All right. They both expanded the president's executive power to address what they saw as threats to homeland security, and they devised new ways to communicate with the people. While Trump has waged a war of words with the media and would undoubtedly like to silence his fiercest critics, Lincoln actually did. <laughs> <laughs> There was a, I mean, there was an actual war going on. Well, well the well, Civil Trump War was a war of words. Lincoln was in a war. Yeah, the Civil War was Lincoln canceling the South. <laughs> the Civil War was uh, the South trying to cancel the Union, and Lincoln didn't want the war, which is, I think, the most uh, frustrating aspect of this. And uh, that that there are a lot of frustrating aspects of this, but Jesus Christ! Should we get the author on? Should we get the what? (laughs) What is the chat saying? Imagine writing like imagine writing a whole book, and this is the best you can do. Can't imagine to promote it. Uh, I received more uh, emails this week from Nancy Pelosi asking me to donate to the D Triple C, and I don't know, but it sounds like things are once again pretty freaking dire over there it started a week ago when she emailed me with the subject line enormous backlash then a few days later another email awful news (laughs) that same day from nancy again subject line read before deleting then yesterday from again nancy quote kiss everything goodbye And uh, again, uh, yesterday, this one, one word subject line, unfortunately. Don't sign your emails. (laughs) Unfortunately. Uh, I haven't heard from her today, so please can someone check and make sure that uh, Nancy Pelosi and the DCCC are okay. They're sending out uh, increasingly dire messages over there. I'm getting a little worried. We'll report back. That'd be fucked up if, like, Nancy Pelosi was injured in the bathroom. We're in a hostage situation. And, like, just no one was responding to her text messages because, like, oh, quit, knock she, it off with the fundraising, Nancy. She only, like, the only I thing already she maxed knows out. how to use on her BlackBerry is the DCCC listserv. <laughs> Help, I'm dying on the floor. This is not a fundraising email. <laughs> nice try. Let's move on. (laughs) On last week's show, we brought you our first look at the Awful Pundit Tournament 2019. The round of 16 had just gotten underway, and the tournament's creator, Tanky Viciedo, was breaking down the matchups. Well, this week, we're down to the hateable eight, and I connected once again with Tanky to break it all down. 
Okay, joining us now for the second week in a row to give us an update on the Awful Pundit Tournament is the creator of the Awful Pundit Tournament, Tanky Viciedo. Follow him on Twitter at Tanky underscore Viciedo. Voting is underway right now in the Hateable Eight. That's right. The uh, tournament is down to just eight awful pundits. Exciting times right now. And here's what I want to do tonight. I want to break down each of these four matchups that we've got coming up. Uh, I'm showing the audience right now a uh, the bracket of the final 16 pundits, which is now broken down to eight. And we might as well start with the marquee matchup the the heavyweights in this tournament in the upper northwest bracket here ben shapiro going up against chris lizza and just as i was walking into the studio tanky i noticed ben shapiro had fired off a tweet can't stop won't stop i'm taking this one all the way to the house can anyone beat him what do you say tanky well first of all sam was bad <laughs> What's bapping? We, we've said this going in, you know, at the end of last year, we said Shapino could be a dynasty. <laughs> and lo and behold, he has found the tournament and he has decided, yeah, I am the worst motherfucker. And I'm going back to back like Joe Carter. Yeah. Like, I mean, like Jerry Jones, just reveling in being a dynasty, being one of the most obnoxious champions there can be. He's rallying his supporters. He, he, I mean, there's no one more confident in this tournament right now than, than Ben Shapiro. I mean, and, and you you also look at the um, up, upper, you know, east bracket there. Maximum boot, I think, is the real challenger here. Um, just based on hot take after hot take, Elliot Abrams' innocent. Um, actually, you know, um, when you call me neocon, it's a Jewish slur. You're, you're, you're trafficking in tropes. And so Max. That's, that's a real just fire starter. And what people don't understand about the seeds, maybe, um, I think I might've explained this at one point is that being a nine seed means that you actually popped out in the qualifier round and you, people really wanted to see you in this thing. Hmm. And, and Boot's... So, 19 is being overpowered. Yeah, Boot is going up against Ann Coulter, but it's worth looking at how Boot got here, really taking down a lot of top-name people. Barry Weiss in the last round, and what was a really close one, right? That was a close match. And They uh, both wanted it. They went head-to-head. They both promoted the it, with, like, you know, at the last hour, at the 11th hour, they said, all right, we're right here. I want this. It's 50-50. It, it could have gone either way. And, and, to, and took down unthinkable. And took but down Brett Stevens. Well, I mean, yeah, Brett Stevens one seed, basically just as bad as Boot. Um, ideologically, I, I don't know how much daylight there is between them. I, you know, they're basically saying the same thing in the same pages of the same publications. Let's move on. We, we, we didn't get to your, your take. I know Ben Shapiro thinks he's going to go all the way. Can, though, can Mr. Chris Saliza pull off an upset? Is it possible that the fix could be in for Chris Saliza to win this thing and pull off one of the greatest upsets we've seen in the Awful Pundit Tournament? Well, 
I, I think he's done for. I mean, everyone knows he's gormless and the definition of an awful pundit. But at the same time, he just lacks that detestability that Chapino brings day in, day out. It, I mean, he's coming off of saying that, like, liberals wouldn't kill baby Hitler or something, or, or they'd try to, and it's like, no, oh, no, no, con- no, what he said was no conservative would abort baby Hitler or would kill baby Hitler. <laughs> That's what he said. And then he tried to reason it out from there. <laughs> <laughs> So so let's assume Ben Ben Shapino makes it on to the what are we calling the final four? The Fakakta four. Yeah, the Fakakta four. Um, we just he, talked about Shapino to make it to the round with Lizzo, he had to beat baseball crank, who upon getting ousted by Shapiro, I believe tried to underhandedly allege that the tournament was anti Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris Lizza had to uh, top Eli Lake. That was that should not have happened, in my opinion. Yeah, tragedy. Yeah, I mean, Chris Liz is kind of a, a harmless, awful pundit, whereas the Eggman really does a lot of damage, and he's awful. He's got his grubby fingerprints on a whole lot of civilian casualties. <laughs> Oof. On this, on this Max, oh, in, in this, in this Northeast bracket with Max Boot going up against uh, Ann Coulter. Now, I think Max Boot is going to be able to win this one just based on uh, his momentum and what we've already talked about when it comes to Boot, but what are the chances that Ann Coulter pops up again just to recite the 14 words on Twitter in the next few weeks to try and uh, gin up some more support for her cause here? Coulter is, you know, this legacy powerhouse. Everyone knows her. She's got brand recognition. People who aren't going to be the, um, you know, veteran media watcher, esoteric listener who's more aware of the, the really devastating things that David Frum has done. They're going to just see Ann Coulter and say, oh, yeah, I know she sucks. I'll, I'll vote for her. <laughs> and that, that's what she has going for her, I think. How far did Ann Coulter make it in last year's tournament? Um, let's see. Where was she seated? She, it was a and Coulter. We can we can check on that. Three seed, three seed. Through so she was three seed. She, so that means she made it pretty far. I, you know, she definitely made it out of the first round. Yeah, she's she's a perennial powerhouse, but uh, probably not going to go all the way uh, this year. Let's move uh, to the southwest portion of the bracket here, where there's an interesting story shaping up here. Uh, Dana Loesch, no surprise, she was made it to the finals uh, last year. This year, she's doing it without uh, threatening kids who were a part of a school shooting and standing for guns uh in the wake of the parkland shooting uh she's just doing it on her own merit i guess this year but she's going up uh against red steez and one can only chalk up red steez's run here to the fact that his name is stephen miller which is the same name as the nazi uh white house aide well and just like ben shapiro he also really wants to win and i don't think you can discount that so there's a very good chance we see Shapino and uh, Red Seas 
in that Sokakta 4 matchup. I mean, looking at who Red Steed, and look, I'm pretty online. I'm pretty plugged into conservatives. Red Steez, that Stephen Miller is like the third-ranked Stephen Miller of Stephen Millers that I know. I would put him probably last among all of the awful pundits that I identify with on here. He's such a just like a little right-wing troll out there, and yet he's taken down Nazi salute herself, Laura Ingram. No, he took down Kurt Schlichter, excuse me. Took down Kurt Schlichter, and he also took down Maggie Haberman, who uh, is is the the Donald Trump whisperer, the the access obsessed Washington Post reporter who's there apologizing for Trump every chance she gets. I mean, can can, 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 can the mistaken identity carry him into the final four? It, I think just wanting it can do it, um, <laughs> but I think there is some mistaken identity, and uh, I don't know. I I, I think. Um, it might be enough to take him past Loesch. Um, How are early returns the, looking? The fun anecdote, I guess, about Loesch is that um, Chris came in once again to walk into being called the six-year-old Tilt-A-Whirl operator. Her husband. And uh, Yes, yes. And um, <laughs> also um, defended himself against allegations of racism by saying that um, his uh, business partner of 15 years is black and his wife is Native American. And I have some some um, doubts about that second part. <laughs> that's that's some Liz Warren stuff going on there. <laughs> yikes! That's a big yikes from me. <laughs> All right, should mm-hmm. we should we move on to this uh, southeast region here, which uh, to me could be one of the most interesting matchups out here. You know, not exactly the heavyweights, but still prominent names. We've got David Frum who really hasn't made much noise lately, but still carrying on forward. David from the uh, awful uh, worst tweet tournament champion from, from last year. Uh, and he's going up against Tucker Carlson, who seems to be uh, trying to one-up his racism each week on Fox News. Oh, my God. You know, from might just be a sleeping giant. Um, at any moment, he can just strike like a drone. He can, yeah. What about his competitor? Um, what about Tucker? The thing about Tucker is that there's an ad boycott against him, and I've stipulated that should he be you know, canceled on Fox News at any point during the tournament, I will give his slot to Chris Hayes. Wow. Wow. I mean, do, do you think that would cause kind of a backlash from a lot of the people who are following the Awful Pundit Tournament who... Uh, who who think that this is more uh, partisan against right wingers? I I hope not. It's been very clear. Um, I, I I hope I've been very clear that this is nonpartisan. Rachel Maddow was in it this year. Steps. Yeah, if you look at the complete bracket, I'm not excluding liberals by any stretch. <laughs> and, um, it, I I want to you know go to your worst tweet. Think I think we saw an entry um, from the reigning chant Ben Shapino this morning. Um, that got unearthed from uh, November 8th, 2011. It looks like maybe, um, you know, SK1 found it the other night. Um, he says, the Jewish people has always been plagued by bad Jews who undermine it from within. In America, those bad Jews largely vote Democrat. November 8th, 2011, <laughs> Ben Shapino. Uh, and so, no, he, I think he might be in it to win it all again. 
I think he really might. Going back in time to write tweets from 2011 to uh, bring forward. I mean, that's that's that's. I, I still think his settlements rock tweet is a little bit worse, but that's that's really bad. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I think you can. You know, if you could put both of those tweets in the worst tweet tournament, if only, if only. <laughs> If only. So uh, last time we had you on last week and you were uh, talking about big plans for next next year. Unfortunately, uh, we you, you have to alter those plans, right? We're not calling it the Punderdome anymore. No, now we're calling it Pundemonium. And that's because um, a pun website or something took issue with this. <laughs> and uh, being the class act that I am, I didn't want to infringe on their copyright. I, I don't know if I'm actually infringing on their copyright, but I just don't want to taint their brand. They've worked very hard to establish it. You know, um, don't want to step on anyone's toes. So, you know, Awful Pundit Tournament presents the 2020 Pundemonium is the official title. I'm positive that has not been copyrighted or trademarked in any way yet. And we're, just to recap, we're going over 100 pundits next year. 160. 160 pundits. Jesus Christ. So, are, are Sam and I, I going to make it on I'm there? Alas, no. Um, I don't think you guys fit the bill. Um, might be too independent. You have too much um, editorial integrity mm. and what have you. Um, and you're good people. So let's see. Thanks, you know, Tanky. We have people like... Uh, Louise Mensch uh, sneaking in here, and uh, Jesse Kelly, Imani Gandhi, Glenn Kessler. These are all from Group 8. And so we have eight different groups. They're going to be um, separated into, you know, batches of 20. And I think we'll do it week by week, uh, beginning at the end of the uh, the World Series. It'll be exciting stuff to look forward to. So we've got the Hateable Eight going on right now. Voting. When does voting end for the Hateable Eight? Um, I think we started it a couple days ago so should have five more left this is a, a week-long round all right so we'll uh we'll have you come back next week if possible to recap what we saw in the hate of blade and uh preview the focacta four <laughs> uh a- anything else our uh, our uh, listeners and viewers should know about how Go ahead and plug. Uh, go ahead and plug the awful pundit tournament again, tournament again for those who want to participate. So yeah, it's um, at t a n k i e underscore v i c i e d o, and you know let, let's just give a rundown right now. Shapiro is uh, leading Saliza um, handily, and um, Loesch Miller is a close, close one. Uh, Boot Coulter also very close, and uh, Carlson is currently beating the snot out of From which is, um, that's unfortunate, but hmm. um, it is what it is. Indeed. Tanky. You know, it was, actually, I can tell you now as a fun fact that Coulter was eliminated in the Sweet 16 last year by Tucker Carlson. Oh, some some uh, inter-fascist uh, struggle right there that, uh, that Tucker was able to prevail. It really comes down to that at the end of the, uh, <laughs> towards the end of the tournament, doesn't it? <laughs> It seems to. It seems to always do that. Uh, Tanky Viciato on Twitter at Tanky underscore Viciato, the creator of the hottest thing on Twitter right now, Awful Pundit Tournament 2019. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Sam. Keep on bapping. <laughs> and we are back live. 
Thanks again to Tanky for giving us another update on the APT. I don't know. Do you have any predictions on it, Sam? Do you uh, do you think Ben Shapiro repeats? I think it's going to be Shapiro versus Max Boot in the finals. And Max Boot has a hell of a lot of momentum, but I think Ben Shapiro is going to going to take it home again. I am afraid Shapiro will win, and he wants to win. <clears throat> and I think Max Boot taking it would be more of a uh, bad pundit trophy for Shapiro because he wants it. Max Boot isn't retweeting, uh, you know, everyone support the uh, my candidacy in the awful pundit tournament. So I think that Max Boot winning would truly show uh, that Ben Shapiro has no clout and he's a stupid piece of shit. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, man, I just lost my computer here. <laughs> you just, you did. I did. I lost there. the computer here. So uh, I can talk about what's going on in the chat room. Yeah, why don't you talk about what's going on in the chat room? I'm going to get my uh, get my charger here for my uh, my computer. Red Steez, get, pick up on Red Steez. He's the guy who kicked you off Twitter, isn't he? Red Steez. Well, Red Steez, I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if he got me kicked off Twitter, but I... Uh, I did the thing where he had retweeted me and I uh, was not happy that he retweeted me. So I changed my username to at uh, Red Steez is a corny piece of shit. And there are rules on Twitter about not impersonating and strict rules on your username. And so I think that may have gotten me banned. However... I was on fire that day, and I also got blocked by Nira Tandon. And if I'm not mistaken, Benny Johnson, too. But definitely Nira. Uh, Nira blocked me. Uh, I, I think I've gotten three separate blocks from Nira, including now the Sentinel account, by the way. I've been blocked twice by Nira. So and she unblocked you and, <clears throat> and chat on you and blocked you again. Yeah, to then block me again. That, That's that, true. That was the best. <laughs> that was the best. Uh, so anyway, there is discourse on uh, Red Steez, and Nicole says she remembers that whole incident with uh, me getting banned, and uh, there was a question about that. But I agree with Nicole. I wouldn't know who Red Steez was if it weren't for the whole incident with you. No, no. Uh, he's just uh, standing on the shoulder of giants, I guess. Uh, Eva Katarina was talking about the donor class earlier and people like Beto O'Rourke who are just fucking addicted to raising money off of rich people. Uh, the trick for the big donor addicts is you'd, a you'd have to actually care about the people who can only afford to give $27 is what uh, she said. I do think Beto, maybe I picked a bad example there. He, I think he did get some small uh, donors, but again, he was running against Ted Cruz, and he probably got a lot of people giving money to defeat Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz is just a walking uh, plastic bag of diarrhea. <laughs> and I could see it being easy to raise uh, small donor dollars when your opponent is human fecal sack Ted Cruz. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I think we uh, have things fired up uh, once again. <laughs> yeah. Anything yeah. else going on in the chat room before we uh, before we move on here? 
uh, Alex was saying, anyone else getting Echo? And then he said two chats later, I had it running on another tab, LMAO. <laughs> so no Echo tonight. The sound is uh, doing okay. Good to hear. All right. Well, I guess we've reached that uh, point in the show where we can read some poetry for all our new subscribers on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month gets you access to bonus content on a near daily basis. It also gets you your own haiku written and read on air by the two Sams. This is for William. No Beto O'Rourke. I'd rather stick in my eye a Beto O'Fork. <laughs> Thank you, William. This goes out to Travis. Droopy face, sad eyes, but makes all the ladies swoon. It's Michael Cohen. Thank you, Travis. <laughs> say, I don't get it. I'd say another thing we learned from today's hearing is... A lot of people want to have sex with Michael Cohen. I don't get it, but okay. I kind of get it. <laughs> Finally, this is for Aaron. She's ready to die. You should be too, school children. Diane Feinstein for Senate. <laughs> Very topical haiku this evening. Thank you, Aaron. And once again, thank you to all our new subscribers over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. All right. We have reached the end of the day on Wednesday, the end of District Sentinel Radio Live. There is only one thing left to do before we sign off for the evening. Interns, bring in the can. Yes, right this way. Careful, 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 careful. Okay, a little more, a little. Yep. Ah. Right in here. Okay, cool. Right there is good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great. Okay. Here we go. Garbage candidate number one, Diane Feinstein. <laughs> Perhaps the easiest thing to do in the world is trick a kid. Seriously, they're dumb as hell. You can really make them believe whatever you want. And in general, when you're a sitting U.S. senator and a bunch of little kids come to visit you to talk about climate change, it should be really fucking easy to convince them that you're on their side, even if you are some sort of monster and aren't on their side, because, again, kids are kind of stupid. I'm not saying it's their fault. They're kids. And sure, sometimes they surprise you by how smart they are, but they immediately turn into gullible dummies again. They, they need time to grow. Anyways... Diane Feinstein failed uh, at all of this. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, when kids with the, with the Sunrise Movement visited her office to ask the senator to support the Green New Deal, Feinstein, in what was a painfully viral moment, scolded the kids for trying to tell her how to do her job. She also engaged in climate denialism and dismissed their concerns by noting that they were too young to even vote for her. So basically, fuck off, huh? <laughs> Quote, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. Feinstein told the kids, apparently not realizing that's actually an indictment of her career, considering how little has been done on the climate change front. 
She goes on to tell the children, quote, you come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality and I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should just listen a little bit. You're talking to fucking kids. Uh, What have you kids done for me lately? (laughs) You selfish fucks. Wanting your clean air in uh, 10 years? Why don't you try listening a little bit? Well, unfortunately for the senator... Every day is Children's Day. <laughs> Today is Senator's Day. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to listen to the senator when we're all out here getting burned alive and she's locked in the dang trash can. Senator Diane Feinstein, you're nominated this week. Garbage candidate number two, Marco Rubio. Rubio is the number one Twitter cheerleader for the ongoing coup attempt in Venezuela. You can just see him getting real excited, fomenting a regional war, typing with one hand, so to speak, (laughs) while online urging unrest throughout Venezuela. This week, the shtick reached a new low when Rubio threatened Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro by tweeting before and after photos of Muammar Gaddafi before and after Gaddafi was killed. Now, typical of Rubio, the post was a self-own. The situation in Libya has worsened undeniably since the U.S. intervened there. The senator is a clown and a cowardly piece of shit who wants other people to die for his career. His keyboard contra act is disgusting. Marco Rubio is nominated this week for the garbage can. Garbage candidate number three, CNN. The cable news network hosted Bernie Sanders for a town hall in Washington, D.C. And as you'd expect from a clown channel like CNN, it was a bit of a shit show. There was the awful performance by Wolf Blitzer, who, among many other things, misled the audience by saying other Democratic candidates support, like Elizabeth Warren, supported reparations in order to make it seem like Bernie Sanders uh, is... is uh, weak on this issue, even though and maybe he is, but none of the other candidates actually support reparations. But the real weird thing about the town hall uh, were the questioners, folks who have active political ties that weren't disclosed, including a public policy intern at Cassidy and Associates, one of the biggest lobbying firms in D.C., who pressed Bernie about being old and being white and having problems dealing with sexual harassment on his campaign. There were also active members of the local Democratic Party leadership, another person who worked at a D.C. political consulting and fundraising firm asking questions. All of them. All these swamp creatures. Now, I will defend CNN a little, CNN a little bit here. It's hard to hold a town hall in Pistown and not have it chock full of lanyards and influence peddlers. That's just kind of what this town does. But it's full of them. Yeah. But disclosures should be made. Certainly, massive D.C. lobbying firms are opposed to the Sanders campaign. So when their employees are behind asking questions at a town hall, that should be made known to viewers. You know, it's just it's ah, what the fuck am I talking about? Where lucky CNN got through the broadcast without Wolf Blitzer's operating system crashing and Jake Capper jacking off on the American flag. <laughs> so, I mean, these days, what else can we ask for from a literal trash heap of a news network? CNN, you're nominated for the garbage can where it belongs. Garbage candidate number four, Benjamin Netanyahu. It's all about the Benjamins. <laughs> they, 
Uh, Netanyahu is really leaning into his true garbage self in the build-up to Israel's next election. The prime minister entered into a coalition with parties even further to the right of his garbage Likud party. Coalition members include Otzma Yehudit, or Jewish Power, a party inspired by Mayor Kahan, founder of the Militant Jewish Defense League, a group that has carried out actual terrorist attacks. As noted by Electronic Intifada, Atma Yehudit's platform includes calls for, quote, the total annexation of the occupied West Bank and the expulsion of Palestinians from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea who are considered not loyal to Israel. In other words, it sounds like a more extreme form of stuff that Netanyahu already believes. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to get along great, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what's really happening is Netanyahu just isn't even trying to pretend anymore. He might lose in April to Benny Gantz, a centrist who is a piece of shit in his own right, having carried out atrocities for the Israeli military and bragging about them. But that's subject matter for another time. This week, Israel's current number one piece of shit, Benjamin Netanyahu, is nominated for the garbage can. Garbage candidate number five, Joe Biden, he's back. He was nominated a few weeks ago by all of you because it was reported that he was contemplating a presidential run. Well, it looks like the guy is even closer to jumping in the presidential race. So here we are again. Joe Biden nominated. And he might run in the worst possible way. According to CNBC, Joe is getting advice from social media consultants and an executive at Twitter to figure out how to appeal to young voters. If you thought Hillary Clinton's uh, social media game was was on fire, just wait till you see Joe Biden's. <laughs> uh, the problem for Joe is that young people are just going to forget about Joe's past of being a uh, warmongering prison hawk who's way too close to the banks and kind of creepy in public. May have voted for segregation one or two times. Yeah, yeah, this is just naming a few problematic things with Joe Biden. On the other hand, though, let Joe jump in and split the centrist vote, which ultimately helps Bernie. So, Joe, you're nominated, but honestly, I hope you don't get it this week. Yeah, join uh, Beto O'Rourke in the... Uh cannibalization of the centrist vote get on that clown car you stupid bitch candidate number six, garbage candidate number six the new york times the paper continues to learn nothing from its past mistakes supporting u.s imperial misadventures in an april 23rd story for example it reported the sham humanitarian convoy to venezuela as a legitimate aid operation there was no mention of the entire charade being condemned by the Red Cross and the United Nations. No mention of either the Red Cross or the United Nations in the article whatsoever. No mention of the fact that the pittance in aid is tied explicitly to regime change. Just that this aid, air quotes, is, quote, desperately needed. The Times reduced coup plotter Juan Guaido to, quote, forcibly trying to bring tons of humanitarian aid into the country. This was the news section, not an editorial. The New York Times coverage of Venezuela's coup is a disgrace. It reeks of constant fuck-ups in the build-up to the Iraq war. This week, we're, na we're nominating the whole damn paper to the garbage can. Yes, we are. So we've got the New York Times, Joe Biden, Benjamin Netanyahu, CNN, Marco Rubio, Dianne Feinstein. The interns are counting the votes. Actually, Patreon automatically tabulates the garbage can votes, but we make the interns do a hand recount afterward uh, just to make sure. We've got a clear winner this week. 
You ready for this? Yeah. Diane Feinstein, you are going in the garbage can. Oh, don't throw me in the garbage can, young man. You don't know how many votes I won by. Why does my Diane Feinstein sound like Chuck Grassley? <laughs> I don't know, but it sort of works. That'll do it for the show tonight. If you liked what you watched, consider subscribing. Once again, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Help us keep the lights on here. Our little news co-op in Pistown pushing back against all the other sh- ship merchants here in this city. Also, while you're here, subscribe on YouTube up there in the top right-hand corner. Follow us on Twitter at the DC Sentinel. And uh, subscribe on SoundCloud at the District Sentinel. District Sentinel Radio, we have uh, free content on the regular that we're posting over there. Thanks to our sponsor, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Subscribers, tune in tomorrow at 4.20 for the Hangout. Everyone else, we'll be back uh, next week with the news dump and everything. We're in D.C. so that you don't have to be.